Shall we pray as we begin? Father God, thank you that you are a God who loves to speak to us, your people. Lord, would you give us open hearts to receive what you want to say to us today? Amen. Well, as we start off this morning, I want to ask you to consider this. Um, What images spring to mind for you when you hear the word hospitality? I wonder if any of these images up on the screen now are the types of things that you were thinking about. You see, I reckon that some of these images on the screen now are kind of like the typical things we might think about when we, when we hear this word. Things like hospitals and hotels and restaurants, places where we're like really welcomed in um, and we're really well looked after. And also kind of images of dinner parties and like entertaining our friends and spending quality time with them. But you may also be thinking, there's a few rogue ones on there. Like, to be honest, Catherine, I probably wasn't thinking about an alien and a homeless person and, and, and like, some enemies. But I want to venture to suggest this morning um, that biblical hospitality is not so much about having our friends and family around for a meal. It's probably a given that we're going to do that, and I believe that God absolutely loves it when we do that. But that instead, biblical hospitality is far more about the alien, the enemies, and the homeless person. See, the word that the Bible often uses for hospitality is philozenia. And it's actually made up of two words, philo, meaning love, and xenia, meaning stranger or foreigner. So it literally means love the stranger. And not only that, but this, like, this concept of hospitality is woven like, right throughout the Bible. Right from the very beginning, we see it, and all the way through. And one of my favorite passages about hospitality is actually from the book of Leviticus. And it says this, When an alien resides with you in your land, you shall not oppress the alien. The alien who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself. For you are aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now, in other versions of the Bible, it doesn't say the word alien. I kind of use that one for dramatic effect. Um, But they use the word foreigner or stranger often. It's such a powerful message. The foreigner who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the foreigner as yourself. The Bible also says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So there's already this sense in which biblical hospitality is really about like real welcome, truly valuing and deeply loving people, deeply loving the stranger, the foreigner, the outsider, But of course, I'd love us to think this morning specifically about what we can learn from the two passages we just heard read. So let's begin in the two Chronicles passage. Um, In order to understand what's really happening here, we need a little bit of context. Um, Otherwise, it kind of just sounds like they're having some sort of extended party and a lot of fun, which is sort of true, um, but not the whole story. So things we need to know. Hezekiah is the king of Judah. But prior to Hezekiah being king, his dad, who was called Ahaz, was the king. And Ahaz was a very terrible king. 
So we're told Ahaz did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Um, He made idols for worshipping other gods. He sacrificed children in fire. Um, We're told that in his time of trouble, King Ahaz became more unfaithful to the Lord. He gathered together furnishings from the temple of God, the place which was like God's dwelling place among the people, and he cut them into pieces. And he shut the doors of the Lord's temple. So really, like, his reign was a total disaster. But when Ahaz died, his son Hezekiah succeeded him. And Hezekiah brought total transformation in that society because he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And it says, um, in the first month of the first year of his reign, so like the first thing thing that he was going to do, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. And he consecrated the priests, the Levites, consecrated the temple. He removed anything from it that wasn't of God. He made a covenant with God and they made sacrifices together. They knelt down and they worshipped God together. And it's in the midst of all of that, that picture, that it is time to celebrate the Passover, which was about remembering when God delivered the people out of slavery in Egypt. And if we read a little bit before today's passage in 2 Chronicles 30 verse 1, it says this, Hezekiah sent word to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh inviting them to come to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord. So what we see here is that Hezekiah sends out this invitation and it's not just to his kingdom of Judah but it's to all Israel as well. Now that sounds like a detail I might kind of just quickly read over in my own Bible reading time. But something else that we really need to be aware of here for context is that God's people were living at a time when the kingdom was divided. In fact, they'd been, it had been divided for over 200 years at this point into two separate kingdoms, so Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And there was deep-rooted animosity between them, and tensions were high. But Hezekiah of the southern kingdom sends invitations out to the northerners, and he's like, come and join us. Come and join us for the Passover celebration. Come and worship God with us. And by doing so, he and the people were crossing tribal and political boundaries. They were inviting the other to come and join. And we heard this morning the entire assembly of Judah rejoiced, along with the priests and Levites, and all who had assembled from Israel, including the foreigners that had come. People who were enemies, outsiders, and foreigners all were invited into this time of worship. And the outsiders joined them in rejoicing. There was so much joy among them that the priests blessed them. And we're told that when they blessed them, God heard them. I love that bit. God heard them for their prayer reached heaven. It seems like there was something about this situation that just really, really pleased the heart of God. And so I suppose a few things sort of struck me as I reflected on this this week. Firstly, the power of the invitation. Like, what we actually see happening here really is revival. Um, So we see people returning to the Lord. Hezekiah, like, really encourages them to do that. We see removal of altars to other gods. We see people worshipping God. And not only that, but we see them, like, extending their time of worship further and further. Like, they can't stop worshipping God. But that couldn't have happened without this invitation, and what a risk that must have been for him to step out and send out that invitation. Secondly, um, what struck me was that godly hospitality brings reconciliation, healing the deepest wounds. 
Now, I don't want to give the impression that this was the moment when, like, the kingdoms were suddenly united and that was, everything was, you know, happily ever after. That's not quite the case, but there was a level of reconciliation that came here. They forgot their differences and they came together as one people. So there's also something about hospitality and unity. Unity, again, that's another theme that runs right throughout Scripture. God's plan from the beginning was to be a God of one people, not two people, and it clearly pleased him to see these people worshipping together. Now we're just going to watch a quick video together, Um, so if we could have that, Josh, that would be great, thank you. We all have a story to tell, but what makes each one different is not how the story ends, but rather the place where it begins. God. Mama says if we went across the water, they wouldn't understand the way we talk. If they can't understand you, then they're not listening. You know who you are, don't you? Your buddy from Belfast, where everybody knows you. Hey, buddy! Your mom's calling you the head! We're looking to cleanse the community a wee bit. You wouldn't want to be the old man out in this street. Touch my family and I'll kill you. We'll fight this together. This is it. This is what? This is war. We're living in a civil war. What do you want? I want my family with me. I want you. Kids the same age as ours are getting killed. We can give these boys a better chance than we ever had. So you might be thinking, what was all that about? Well, that was obviously the trail for the film Belfast. Um, It follows the life of a Protestant family um, who are living during the Troubles in Northern Ireland. And it actually is kind of told through the eyes of their nine-year-old son, which is really interesting. But it's like this type of thing just kind of kept coming to mind for me um, as I was thinking about hospitality healing like the deepest wounds. Um, And it reminded me of a time when my mum was training for ordination and her and some of her trainee vicar friends went on a retreat to a place called Corrymeela in Northern Ireland. And it's a Christian place. They have an amazing ministry of reconciliation. Um, Particularly, they've worked a lot with Catholics and Protestants there. But their belief is that people can live and work well together. Um, And they work alongside fractured communities, groups who are finding their relationships really difficult for whatever reason. And they're so creative. They get people talking to each other through like dialogue, experiential play, storytelling, communal um, mealtimes, all sorts of things. Um, And they help people to embrace differences and learn how to have difficult conversations. And essentially what they're doing is they are providing the hospitality to bring two groups of people with major differences together and to help them to find reconciliation. It's such a powerful ministry. And so that was really kind of coming to mind for me as I prepared this week. And so I guess we've learned from this passage about the power of an invitation. We've learned about hospitality bringing reconciliation and healing, unity, togetherness. 
But what can we learn from our Matthew passage? Well, again, a little bit of background information is needed. So if we read just before this passage, we find out that Jesus has just healed a paralyzed man. Amazing miracle. And then we see that he's walking along, just seems to be walking along, and he sees Matthew. And that bit really stuck with me. He sees Matthew. Now, just kind of a little bit before we get onto that, is that something really important to know is that Matthew is a tax collector. He's sitting at his tax collector's booth when Jesus sees him, and tax collectors are despised. They were known for being extortionate. They took far more money than they were owed. They were seen as cheaters and sinners of society. Jews even taught that if a tax collector entered the home, the home became unclean. And therefore, because of that, they were excluded from synagogues. They couldn't even give money to the temple. They were seen by society as beyond the help of God. So they were like real outsiders of society. And despite all of that, Jesus sees Matthew. There's something important to me there about that idea of having been seen. I think so much of the time... The outsiders of our society are a bit unseen. Maybe we don't feel comfortable seeing them. Maybe we sort of walk past them and we don't really give them a thought. But Jesus loves Matthew and he sees him. He doesn't just walk past, he sees him. Not only does he see him, but he speaks two words to him. Follow me. And in that moment, Jesus has chosen the outsider. He's chosen the despised one. He's chosen the one that none of the rest of society would even give a single thought to. It's actually one of my most favourite things about Jesus, that he chooses the one that no one else would even think about. And he says, Matthew, I want you to be on my team. And I noticed here too that Jesus doesn't say, Matthew, I want you to sort your life out. I want you to do X, Y, and Z. Then you can come and be on the team. Then you can come and be one of my disciples. He says, come exactly as you are come as you are. We know there were changes that came along the way after that for Matthew in his life. But he says, Matthew, I want to welcome you. I want to love you. I want to value you right now as you are. And then we read about this extraordinary moment where Jesus is round at Matthew's house. So I guess Matthew's extended the hospitality here. Jesus is sat there and he's spending time with many tax collectors and sinners who I assume are Matthew's friends and contacts. And What struck me is, unlike some, not all, churchy people, Jesus is totally relaxed in the presence of these people. He's totally relaxed in the presence of sinners um, and outsiders of every kind. And when the Pharisees see this, they're like, this is a scandal. Jesus, what are you doing spending time with these people? And this is what Jesus says. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, I'm going to show you two pictures on the screen here. just want to ask a simple question. It's not a trick question. Which one of these people needs a doctor? Feel free. Um, anyone want to shout out? <laughs> it's the person on the left, okay? The person on the left needs a doctor. <clears throat> now, some of you might know this, but before he retired, my dad was a surgeon. And this passage makes me think of him whenever I read it. Like, wouldn't it be ridiculous for someone who was totally healthy to come for an appointment with my dad? Like, it would be really pointless because the purpose of my dad being there was to help sick people. Here, Jesus is saying that these people he's hanging out with are spiritually sick. And he wants to help them to be spiritually healthy. 
And by that, he means he wants them to know God. He wants them to be made right with God. He wants God to transform their life and for them to receive like all the blessings of being in relationship with God. And that's why he's hanging out with them. And so I think there's something for us to consider here, and I am considering this for myself <laughs> um, very much. Like, who do we hang out with? Who are we spending time with? Are we always with Christians? Do we need to consider um, how we might hang out with some people or spend time with some people that are not Christians so that they might be introduced to Jesus? Jesus goes on from there and he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Um, And in the message version of the Bible, it says, I'm after mercy, not religion. See, these guys that were questioning him, thinking this was a great scandal, the Pharisees, they were spiritual leaders of the time, like highly respected. But the problem with them was that they were obsessive about the religious stuff. They wanted to tick all the boxes. They wanted their life to look really great. Like They wanted to look like the perfect um, example of religion. Um, But their heart wasn't in the right place. Jesus is like, I don't want any of that. I don't want it just for a show. What I want is for you to show mercy to those people. Mercy is not giving people what they deserve. For example, we deserve to be punished for the wrong stuff that we do in our lives. But God doesn't punish us because Jesus took that punishment for us on the cross so that we don't have to experience it. That is the ultimate example of mercy. Mercy is about being kind Jesus is saying, be kind to these people. That's what I want you to do. Love them, welcome them in, value them exactly as they are. And so I suppose all of this just got me thinking about, like, what should our response be to this? And I think, really, there's some questions we need to ask ourselves and to reflect on. Firstly, who are the outsiders of our society? Like, who are the unseen ones? Who are the ones that maybe we'd feel less comfortable with being in church? Who are the foreigners? Who are the people that are different to us? Who are our enemies, the ones that make our life a little bit difficult? And how can we love them? As I considered this, a few thoughts came to mind, and I'm sure way more thoughts will come to your mind, um, but a few kind of ideas right now There are thousands of children and teenagers in care who are waiting for the right home and family, be that through fostering, adoption, or supported lodgings. There are some wonderful families in our church who are already doing these very things. But it got me thinking, what if if more of us could get involved in some way? What if our worship of God was showing love and welcome to these children and young people? Like, What would that look like? They're strangers to us now, but what if we welcomed them in? For a whole year now, Ukraine has sadly been bombed. Um, Thousands of buildings have been destroyed. Countless lives have been lost. And in the midst of just devastating circumstances, I've been so inspired by Christians in our church and beyond who have welcomed Ukrainians into their homes to give them some safety and stability in the midst of probably what's the hardest time of their life. The Ukrainian cafe here at church, I'm sure, would be a wonderful way to to serve these people and to show them some hospitality. And then I started to think about people who maybe feel like outsiders in our church, for whatever reason. Our aim as a church really should be that nobody feels like an outsider. We don't want anyone to feel like that. I felt like that very much as a young person in a different church, 
<clears throat> I had that experience of kind of standing on the edge of the room. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. And looking in, and everybody else seems to be having their kind of lovely, like, happy time together. But you're just a little bit on the outside, left out. It's not a good feeling. We never want that for anyone in our church. So what could we do about that? How could we be a bit more intentional about just noticing, like, who is that person on the edge? Who is that person who looks a bit lost or struggles with the intensity of the coffee time, which is quite a difficult time for some, who maybe has additional needs? How can we just be a bit more intentional about seeing people? And who can we extend an invitation to? Um, we're going to be having a couple of hospitality Sundays. Um, I think it's April and October. Give me a thumbs up, Stuart, if that's right. April and October. And more information will be coming out about this soon. But these are going to be opportunities for you to welcome some people into your homes. This might be people from church. It might be people who have just got a connection with the church somehow or someone else. But it might be a way that people could make some friends in the church, you know, and just have that friendly face that when they come back on a Sunday, they finally know someone and they're not stood there on the outside. Then what about reconciliation? How does that apply to us? You might not feel as though you have deep-rooted enemies, or you might, but we all have people that we find difficult, and let's face it, we're all difficult people at times too. That ministry at Corrie Miele, listening, is at the core of it. Can we just take that step of being willing to listen to people's perspectives attentively and non-judgmentally? because listening is such a huge part of hospitality. So really, they were kind of the first things that came to my mind of ways that we can show hospitality, love, welcome to the stranger, the outsider, the foreigner of our society. But I'm sure that as we pray and respond now, God's going to drop loads more ideas into your mind. As we come to a close, I um, just want to say there was this week, this talk's been a struggle, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and um, I prayed and I was like, God, what do you want to say to us? Like, please tell me what you want to say. And two words dropped into my mind really clearly, and that was no outsiders. There are no outsiders to God's love whatsoever. That's what he wants us to know. It's a one-point sermon. You didn't need the last 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> we're all welcome. There's grace enough. There are no outsiders. So that's where I want to finish today. Um, and we're going to listen to a song together now as a response. It's by Ren Collective, and it's called that. It's called No Outsiders. Just felt like God wanted to say something to us through these words. They're really powerful. And so maybe as it's, as it's on and you're listening to it as well, you could just reflect on the words, but also be asking God the question, like, what do you want me to do with this? What are you saying to me about hospitality? How can I show hospitality to someone in my life? Thanks, Brent.
other harbor In every tempest When my soul was shipwrecked Tossed upon the waves You come the storm You are the father Is the